You're tuned in to Positively Terrible. I'm producer Dan, and each week my buddy Scott and I discuss surviving and thriving after trauma. It's a journey that started when Scott, his wife's fiance, and her boyfriend walked into a bar. This week's decent human being is Lisa. She's got a fucked up story about the loss of loved ones. Lots of loved ones. Settle in, my terrible listeners. Today's episode is going to be Positively Terrible. Hey, Scott. Hey, Dan. What's going on? Man, it's Sunday morning. I was just laying in bed, forgot all about our interview, and then I had one of those 10-minute alerts go off, and here I am, right right here at the interview. But I'm not watching Onward, which I was just watching with uh, our seven-year-old, and now I really need to go back and see how it ends. All right. Well, um, that sounds like a lot of fun, Dan. I am a little bit frazzled. I was already frazzled this morning before I had technical difficulties. Um, and I, I, the last thing I did before I logged in was clean up the dog shit on my floor because he, he chose snacks over going outside. I, I went to let him outside and he walked on the porch, turned around, wanted back in, which is, which is a sign of, I went outside now give me a treat. Mm-hmm. And I made the mistake of actually giving him that treat. Yeah, you fell for it. Yeah, 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 you yeah. fell for it. I, I'm still, it's been a year and a half since I've had him, but I'm still a novice at this whole dog ownership thing. So. Kids are a, a, a lot the same. Yeah, but besides that, I I didn't have a coffee incident today. You, you, you probably saw on the Instagram page, and if you're not following, please follow the Instagram page at Positively Terrible. That I need I to start poured, doing that. Yeah, yeah. I, I poured my coffee on Thursday and my cup was upside down. <laughs> I, I poured it on the bottom of my coffee cup. I, I say that the cruel irony of coffee is you've got to make your coffee before you've had your first coffee. But I've got one here in my nice careful or you'll end up on my podcast cup, which considering the topics we have, that is a pretty serious threat. Um, but today we've got Lisa. Lisa, did you get all the coffee or, or maybe tea? I don't know what you drink these days. Uh, coffee, coffee. I'm okay. from Seattle. We don't do tea. <laughs> I may be in England, but we do not do. I don't do tea. Okay, I was gonna say. I think there are some people in Seattle who probably would would take a tea, uh, especially with Microsoft around. I know that there's a large population of people who come from other countries, so probably a lot of good tea out there. But I am with you. For me, black coffee all the way. But thank you for joining us today, Lisa. Um, I didn't, uh, actually, I, I've already lost my train of thought in the, in the, in the <laughs> fluster that I am in this morning. All pro. But Lisa, tell me a little bit. You just, I, I'm actually going to start off by asking, uh, you, you, you live in Europe now. How'd you end up in Europe? So I've been in England for 18 years now. So moved from actually born and raised in Seattle, moved to Portland, Oregon, was married, had two daughters. And then in 2005, we moved from Portland, Oregon 
to the to the UK for my husband at the time to go to school to get his PhD at the University of Chester. And we were only supposed to be here for two years or three years. And 18 years later, we're still here, but we love it. So yeah, we've cool. all decided to stay. That That's great. You must love it to have stayed for that long. And it probably complicates things a little bit, though, considering the topic that we're going to talk about today, that you've lost a lot of people in your life. I'm sure that having at least a portion of them being over in the United States, that that's been difficult. But let's kind of just jump into that now. Uh, at one point, you told me the number of people who you lost in a short span. What, can, can you tell us what that was and, and, and who the first was and how it started? Yeah, absolutely. So it was 12 loved ones in 22 months, so just under two years. So I hadn't really experienced much loss growing up, grandmas, you know, my aunt, but it wasn't until 2018, January 2018, when the shit hit the fan. And, you know, when you move to a different country, you're right. Like you think my parents aren't getting any younger. Like this is your, your, you do not want to have one of those calls or a few of those calls. But January 2018, I got the first call was my niece who on my ex-husband's side of the family had a long illness. She passed away in her 30s. Um, and then a week later, I get the call from my mom or a Facebook message in the middle of her night, my morning that says, Lisa, can you talk? And that's never good. And that's when she called me to tell me that my dad had a cancerous brain tumor and uh, they were going to do surgery to remove it. But at that point, you know, it was that that was when the earth opened up, swallowed me whole. Um, very close to my parents, raised in a really great home. So I, I stayed back waiting for the surgery um, and then said, do you need me now or do you need me to come after the surgery? Mm -hmm. And so she said, just wait. Surgery was unsuccessful. They couldn't get any of the tumor out. So we knew that that was the worst case scenario. So I quit my job. I told my husband at the time, I said, I'm, I gotta go. I have to go take care of my dad and my mom. I mean, they'd been married for 50 plus years. So I quit my job and moved to back to Seattle to care for my dad um, until he passed away seven months later. So those were the first two um, deaths that happened in a very short period of time. So with as many people over 22 months, I think it was that you said, that's still a big span between the first and the second one. Yeah, exactly. So in between that, I had lost some friends, oh, okay. friends, children. Um, so yeah, you're right. So like the week before my dad died, a good friend here in the UK was battling pancreatic cancer. He died. So it was just, it was constantly somebody passing away. It felt like whilst I was caring for my dad. Um, and then after I, we buried my dad and I moved back to the UK and got a job my mom came to visit several months later and we traveled around the UK. She'd been here numerous times, but it was always with my dad. I mean, they were always together. And so it was weird, like just not having 
my dad there, but we made the most of it. And then she stayed for two months and then at Manchester airport, gave her a hug. She was crying. I was keeping it together because I was being strong and walk, watching my mom walk away alone was very heart wrenching. And then several months later, we talked every day. She wasn't answering her phone. She wasn't answering the messages and I'm 4,000 miles away, but I'm like saying to my brother and everybody, when was the last time you talked to mom? When was the last time you talked to my mom? It's like, somebody's got to get over there. And she had passed away in her sleep um, 14 months after my dad. So she and I were supposed to go on a cruise. So instead of going on a cruise together, I ended up burying my mom. And that was devastating as well. So yeah. So again, friends who lost their children um, before that, and then going back to Seattle and packing up my childhood home. And it was just, I mean, we got, I got up and I did another eulogy. I was like, you know, it's great seeing all you people, but what the hell? Like I'm done. <laughs> like I never want to see you guys again. Right. It was, but it was like, this is bullshit. My brother and I were like, well, that was just rude, Sally, which is my mom. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, you know, then I came back to the UK and it was just like, what the hell has just been happening? There was just so much compound loss. You have no idea who to grieve first yeah. and what to grieve. And then two months after my mom, the dreaded call in the middle of the night from a woman who was using my daughter's phone um, said, you know, Alexa's okay, but Jack, her fiance has died in a fall. And I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying. So my only son, they'd been together forever, um, died in an accident in front of my daughter and his coworkers and and they lived two hours away from us. And that was, that was, that was it. That was, that, that did me in. Yeah. Yeah. Lisa, I'm so sorry. I'm sure you've heard that more times than, <laughs> than you'd like to at this point. But of course I can't not acknowledge that, that, that is a hell of a lot of trauma to go through in a short time. And unlike anything I've ever experienced, I've never lost, really lost anyone like as close as as some of the people you've lost so uh, again I'm, I'm sorry for that you, you said that it started and i i kind of want to go th over the timeline a little bit and you said that your niece was the first person you lost if i remember correctly yeah um, and she had been ill is that correct yeah, she had an illness. Um, it was a hereditary illness. So she had been in and out of the hospital and many surgeries for most of her life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. So many surgeries, does that mean it wasn't totally unexpected? It wasn't, she was in the hospital. I don't think it was totally unexpected. Um, and to be fair, it was almost like, wow, she's lasted until her thirties because right. they hadn't expected her to live and, sure. you know, just progressively getting 
worse. So yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things like with my dad, when you talk about cancer or a long illness, it's like this anticipatory grief because you're anticipating, you're anticipating that this person is going to pass away. You don't know when, but it's like all these hundreds of losses, thousands of losses over those periods of years and months. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sorry, when you say thousands of losses, what what exactly do you mean by that? So there's little losses, isn't there? There's there's tons of little losses. So for my dad, for instance, I watched this strong teamster start to lose his memory. He knew who everyone was. He never lost names, but he didn't know why he was where the toilet was or he could then, after a period of time, couldn't really walk, you know, and he was falling. And so I'm watching this strong man that was like my hero start to decline. So these are these little losses. And and with brain cancer, his some of his personality changed. And so he would lash out at my mom and I'd be like, Mom, it's not my it's not dad. It's it's the disease. So then there's this grief that goes on. So there's these little grief losses before the person's actually passes sure. away. Sure. Sounds like the worst slow band-aid removal of all time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way of putting it. Cause it is, it's like rip, rip, rip at your heart, you know, and like in the very depths of your soul, especially when it's someone you're so close to. Yeah. And I didn't ask if it was unexpected or if it was kind of expected in order to, to minimize it. And it does sound like a gift to have someone who makes it to their 30s that maybe you didn't expect to. Yeah. But and I think, yeah, absolutely. And um, and like with my niece, I, you know, she would be in the hospital and it'd be in the middle of her night and she would be messaging me like, hi, Aunt Lisa, because it was my morning, you know, so sure. we got to talk that way but she never once complains never never i've never heard her complain about any heart surgery back surgery pain anything ever so she was a strong strong girl um and yeah i think you know there's like with my dad versus my mom's death i was able to say goodbye to my dad i was able to be with him and spend time with him and care for him and with my mom she was gone like that great for her, shitty for the rest of us. It's horrible, sudden death, like with my, my son-in-law. Horrible, horrible. His is tragedy. But, you know, with my mom, great, peacefully in her sleep. That's exactly how she would want to have gone. You know, looking at it in hindsight, you're like, damn, she did it right. Like, how on yeah. earth did she do that? Watching crime shows in a robe, her legs were crossed, you know, she was just chilled, gone with yeah. my dad now, but we were like, what the, you know, so, but for those of us who are, you know, alive, those of us who are having to hear that news or see that is so, so yeah. dramatic. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And Lisa, I signed me up to go the way your mom went. I Good for her. Uh, I'm sure that she wouldn't have it any other way other than maybe, uh, you know, to to be able to say goodbye. And, yeah, uh, I mean, you know, but she knew that she was loved. We knew that we were loved. Like there was nothing that ever went unsaid. She was like people yeah. talked about how she was basically Mary Poppins. Like she was the <laughs> nicest, 
woman, the most encouraging person you would ever meet. But she would always say, even when she was here, I hope I'm dead by then. You know, like no one's changing my diapers. No one's here. I hope I'm dead by then. And me and my brother and all of that were like, well, yeah, she definitely knew and she definitely did it just yeah. how she wanted. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So this is a bit of a, maybe a, a hard question, but when you lose your niece and then your dad's diagnosed, or have you even had an opportunity to, to grieve your niece? And I'm not going to stop there because there's so many, like, at what point do you get to grieve the people who you are losing? This is the thing about compound grief that is, has its own special little, um, you know, little gift in it. And that's a insert sarcasm. So that is compound grief is when it is literally compounding. So every time you, your head kind of lifts a little bit, you get hit again. And so what I have learned over not only the education part that I, I learned it when I was going through this educational part, but also with a bereavement counselor is that you grieve the loss of the person that comes to your mind at that point. So let's say you wake up and you're missing your, your niece or it's her birthday, or there's something about something that happened and you miss her um, or my son-in-law um, or my mom or my dad or Zach. Like I could name them all, which I won't because there's just so many people, but you would, you would then grieve that person. You would spend that time going, you know what? I have to shelf the other losses because it's, it's too much. It's way too much for one person to be able to cope with all of those losses. You have to take them as they come. And I always take it as a sign that if I have a memory of my dad, like that's the time that I think about my dad and, and, yeah. and grieve him. Do you, uh, okay, uh, do you ever resist it when you have those feelings or thoughts like exist, resist the grief? Yeah. You know, when I was in um, therapy, my therapist was like, Lisa, listen, like you don't have to sit in it all the time because I was like, I need to, cause I knew enough. I'd worked in grief. I'd worked in leading women's groups in the States years ago. I knew what trauma did to the body. I was like, you know, I've got enough of this knowledge, but now of course I'm living it. And I'm like, I gotta sit in it. I've got to sit in it. It will wash over me and I've got to work through it. And I've got to blah, blah, blah. And she's like, you know, sometimes you don't. Like sometimes it's okay to put your hoodie over your head, eat chocolate and watch Netflix. Like it's okay to not grieve at that, you know? So I have learned and it isn't easy, but I have learned that sometimes I'm just like, no, nope. So if it starts to hit me, I go, no, I can't. Like I'm going to work or anything. It's like, I just, I don't have the bandwidth right now. So I literally be like, nope. And I'll go do something else to try to hack that. But then sometimes I'm like, okay, yep, I need to let it out. And how long into the process of the 22 months, two years, um, did you start seeing a therapist for uh, so this? And were you seeing a therapist before that just regularly? 
No. And that's a really good question. Like I knew that I needed help after my dad died. So I knew that I needed something, but I did not even seek counseling. Like I knew it was there, but I just did not feel ready. And that's really important because I think a lot of people wait quite a while because they're just trying to navigate this. Um, and then when I was ready, I, it was after my mom passed away and before my son-in-law passed away. So it was over a year and a half um, that I, I just tried to get on with my life, so to speak. I let my cry and I'd hang out with my friends and I had a great support system. That was hugely important for me. Had I not had that, I probably might have gotten see a therapist quicker. But for me, I had such a good support system with my friends and my, my family. And you're seeing a therapist, uh, or were at least, uh, that specialized in grief, it sounds like. Yeah, she she did other specialties, but I specifically looked for a bereavement counselor. Yeah, and okay. she's fantastic. And what's that um what's that look like? Like when you go see a bereavement counselor, how is that different than regular counseling if you know? Yeah, so for me, um she really just created a safe space. She didn't push me to talk about the losses. She would really just where do you want to go today type of thing. So it was all talk therapy. There's different modalities. And trust me, I've tried like everything. Like I do, I was grabbing at everything, but that was my first grab was uh -huh. counselor. And so we did a lot of talking. I did a lot of talking. Um, and it was just a safe space, non-judgmental. She would just ask me questions. She would ask me questions about my childhood and about my parents. And she would ask me about my son-in-law, um, but she would never push me. So with my son-in-law, I just didn't want to talk about it. Didn't want to talk about what, what my daughter might've seen. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And I still don't talk about those details because I don't want to traumatize people. So I, I didn't want to tra traumatize my own therapist. <laughs> She's like, Lisa, I have a therapist. We're good. Right. Um, <laughs> so finally after, like I saw her for over a year and finally towards the end of that year, I started talking about the actual accident because I was like, I don't want to tell any, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to relive it. I don't even think about it. Even though I wasn't there, I was there at the hospital. I didn't want to talk about any of that. So she didn't push me to talk about any of those things. Um, she just gave me an opportunity to also, it gives me little action points. I'm an action oriented person. So I needed something to go do, you know, give me some homework, something to read. Yeah. Nice. When you say that you, it almost, the, the way I interpreted some of that is maybe you didn't want to burden her with some of the details. Yep. Was there any part of that that was, that you think was maybe more that you just weren't ready to talk about it? I think it was both, to be honest. I think when I was, especially with my son-in-law, like I was there to try to, I was carrying my daughter's grief. She's no longer the same girl as she was. She was 24. I mean, she was, she, what her life was so good. And then it was so not good. And she, it's like, I lost a part of her and 
I just wanted to support her. So you're carrying all these people's grief along with your own, you know, his parents. His, and, and so the part of that was, I don't want to burden anyone else. Cause this is like what we do, right? Like, I don't want to burden anyone, even though I'm paying you. Um, <laughs> and you really, I should be. Um, I didn't want to traumatize her with my grief, but then you're right. That other flip side was, I don't want to talk about it at all. And I don't want to look at photos. I don't want to, it was so it was such a shit show. I did not want to look at any photos of him and and my daughter. It was, it was, it was pretty, it was painful. Okay. At what point did it hit you that, no, I've got to share this with my therapist? Right. So one of the things that she asked me was, she's like, Lisa, like close your eyes. Cause we also talked about my marriage, which was not happy. It was, it had not been happy for 10 plus years. And, um, he, and she said like, what do you see? Like, where do you see yourself? I'm like, I see myself in a little apartment by myself, divorced, like <laughs> living my life, like healing and stuff. And she's like, okay, okay. And then I was like, right. Yep. So a year after my son-in-law passed, I sat my husband down and said, you're not happy. I'm not happy. I got to go. And he's like, okay, see ya. Like he helped me pack, like, let's go. And we're still, you know, amicable today. Um, but it was one of those things where when I started to, to visualize myself in a flat, in an apartment, I did that. And that apartment was across the street from the funeral home that was my son-in-law's and I did not know it. So I, I was in this country, everything's small, little, it's like right in the middle of houses and stuff is a little brick building. You would have no idea it's a funeral home except for the sign. And so then I said to my daughter, what was the funeral home that she said, it, it's that one. I went, are you actually kidding me? So I see hearses outside and I see, and I'm like, oh my God, like, why am I here after all that? And that is what made me start talking to her about him. If you did it again, do you think you'd have started sharing earlier or did you kind of need to be like, did you need to get to that place? And let me just clarify, Scott's not suggesting we try this all again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's not do a redo. I do not want no more freaking redos. No. Do you know what? I think it was exactly how it was meant to be. I think I think what happens is, um, you know, like with the work I do, people will go, you need to talk to my friend. My friend just lost a whatever. And I'm like, mm, they can contact me. Like it. it let's not try to push somebody else to do something sooner or when they're not ready. And I think that's exactly what happened. I just did it in the time that I needed. Well, thank you for that response. Um, it's something that we all have regret in our life. I, I, I think every single one of us has something that there's, there's some regret over. And that's kind of the way I try to frame it for me is that there's a time for everything. Yeah. And when I knew things weren't going right in my marriage, there were plenty of times where I wasn't ready 
to follow some of the leads that I had. And it was when I got into therapy that I became stronger that I could ask that next question. And we talked to a lot of people who are have journeys to sobriety and there's just, we can't sit back and say, I wish I'd have done things differently when all of the situations in your life in the, sometimes it's the information you have, the strength you have, all of that. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that you agree with it, me, not, not to make me right, but to just, it validates my feeling on it. And I, I do appreciate that. Absolutely. It's so true. Let's not push people into where they're not ready to go yet. And you can't, you're just going to get resistance. Like if, if you tried to push me into stopping drinking before I decided I needed to stop drinking, it would have been nothing but resistance and avoidance. And I would have hated whoever said that. Yep. So in this almost two years and after, I guess, was there Maybe this is a leading question and I'm assuming some things, but well, did you wake up many days and think, is someone going to, is, what's the bad news that's going to happen today, whether it's a loss of someone else? I mean, were you kind of on edge or anxious or, or can you kind of tell me about that? Yeah, absolutely. One million percent. Every time that phone rang that was traumatic. Every time I got a message or an email, my my anxiety, my trauma response was I was in the fight mode. Something was going something bad was going to be happening. So the girls would call and I'd be like, "What's wrong?" You know, uh, and my therapist said that well, of course, Lisa, because that's what happens. That's what's been happening. So we need to practice so she said, what you do is you practice with your friends. You practice with your girls. Give me a call. Hey, mom. Hey, everybody. Hey, Lisa, everything's okay. And that reframed and retrained my trauma response to the phone ringing. And so there were tools that I used to help take that response of that fight, flight, freeze mode to calm my nervous system. So there was actually a point where you called your daughter and you called your friends. You're like, guys, I need some regular phone calls. Yeah. Hop once in a while. Call me and just, just call me and say hi. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I yeah. Like not that. in the middle of the night. Cause that's not good. <laughs> Let me just say, don't do that. My best friend's accidentally done that. Like ass dialed me in the middle of the night. Now I'm like, oh. like, Oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm like, Oh my God, please don't ever. So that's exactly what happens is I had to actually practice. And again, I did other things. I did like sound bath healing stuff. I did energy work. I did, oh my God, yoga. I did like blast the music and dance around my living room to try to just, you know, make my, I don't know. It was this energy that I needed to kind of get out. But then at some point I just realized I'm like Larry and Sally's daughter, man. Like I am badass Larry and Sally's daughter. And they, this is the, this, what, how I was raised. And I'm like, right. I've got to do something. And I also have to do something to help other people. That is my mom and dad all over the place. So there was that part after a a couple of years. That's when I started. Larry and Sally, that's your parents. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they sound like good ones. And yep. 
we're so close to taking that next step into the my favorite part of the show, which and I guess we're there. But my question to lead us to to the the positive part, the part where things are going great and we're thriving is do you remember like did you have an actual realization at any point like oh i'm i i'm i don't panic when the phone rings anymore oh i'm not sitting around waiting for the next shoe to drop yeah i don't remember if it was like a moment in time but i certainly felt it like at a cellular level you know i i felt that there was a a switch, but I would say it was a good two years um, after my son-in-law passed that it was like, oh, okay, I can fully live and I can fully grieve at the same time. And that to me was like, oh my God, those two can exist at the same time. Yeah. What I like about what you just said is the acknowledgement that getting to that point of healing doesn't mean the grieving is over. Never. Yeah. And when you say a full two years, when I hear that, I think that's not even that long considering everything you, you did go through. Yeah. And, and that is, that is what, because I'm action oriented and that is what I kind of do, that that is the thing that I held on to that kept me moving forward, but it didn't mean that I didn't take the pain with me. So I always say to people like you create, you learn to create a life of passion and purpose around your pain. You take your pain with you. I'm never going to be over any of these losses. I just take my pain with me and that's how I kind of view it. Yeah. And it's always great to be able to do something productive with, with the pain and the experiences and what we've learned. And that's what, that's the reason I'm doing the podcast is because I learned some things and I wanted to share and I wanted other people who had learned some things to be able to share as well. And that makes us me so happy when every week when someone comes on and despite it's, I'm not happy about how you got here <laughs> by me neither, any means, neither. but we get here. And as I like to say, you know, this is what decent fucking humans do with it. And Lisa, you did mention a moment ago, you said something about helping others so I want to hear about that. What are you up to today? Yeah, you know, I am um, during COVID and during therapy and during all of that, I, um, I certified as a life coach, I was working full time and I was locked up. So I was like, not locked up as in prison, but locked up as in, yeah, locked down, um, I certified as a life coach and part of the work that I do is personal development, empowerment coaching, but also grief coaching. And then I became a certified grief educator. So I, you know, speak and just share my story, hopefully offering hope and inspiration that even in the dumpster fires of life, like you can look at it realistically and deal with it. Um, but also life is short and fragile. Like you better just go after it because we're not here for very long. So I just try to inspire, you know, men and women to do that. 
I have not experienced a lot of loss. How do you prepare for that? Man, do you know what? Here's my advice. One, you can't. It's 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 worse than what you would even try to prepare yourself for. Like I know that sounds great, right? Woohoo, way to inspire. But what I mean by that is you can't prepare for that because what you'll end up doing is wasting the life that you have right now, wasting the time that you have right now with your loved ones, with your friends, with your family, with your children, worrying about something that hasn't happened yet. My advice, don't go there yet until you have to, because we will all have to, Mm -hmm. and hopefully not as many as I have had in that short period of time, but you will. So that's why I try to tell people, don't worry about things that haven't happened yet. And when that time comes, you pull out every resource that you've got and what you, you know, in whatever you need at that very moment. And you might not know what you need at that very moment, but you'll have hopefully loving, supportive people around you. Good answer. That's a real good answer. For sure. And Mentioning your loved ones, your friends, the people who are still around. What advice do you have for them to support someone in their grief? Uh, do you know what? I um, I just did a masterclass on this and I wrote an ebook on it. How to support a loved one who is grieving. And that to me is huge. Anybody who's toxic or what I call a vampire energy draining vampire, you need to get rid of them or like shelve them for that time being and only surround yourself with those who are truly going to support you. So I give like do's and don'ts, like don't, they're in a better place or time heals all wounds or those things that people want to say, but shouldn't say. And then just real practical tools on how you can support a loved one. So yeah, I first, the most important thing is I just got rid of the energy draining vampires. Yeah. Well, I like that. And where do we find this ebook? Do you know, it is, um, there's uh, on my website, which is holisticlifecoaching.org.uk. And you'll put that on there. They can go on there and subscribe to the list, the email. And the very first email they get is, are you sure you want to? And they go, yes. (laughs) And then the second email, the free ebook will land in their inbox. Um, But that's the best. That's the only way really to get it. Yeah. And Lisa, you've learned a lot through experience and education, it sounds like. And I talked about not regretting the way that we react or mourn or or whatever, because we do the best we can in that time with what what we can or what, what we know. But looking back now that you've learned a lot, is there one or two things that you might have wished you'd done differently? That you wish you'd had already known so you could do it differently. Yeah. So I I think one of the things I said to myself when my dad was dying, um, and then there were friends around me in Seattle that were passing were dying too of cancer, is I'd want to put my head on the pillow every night knowing that I've done everything that I could and I did it all right and that, you know, by my parents. So that I never feel like I've let, had any regret. 
emotions happen when you're grieving and anger is one of them. So if someone's starting to screw with your family or starting to, even if it is your family, messing with your, your family, your parents, like not doing what you think they should do. Um, I mean, my, my oldest daughter went, yeah, you were kind of brutal then, you know, like, cause I was just like, bam, you need to get over here. Like I was like, you know, getting people to, and I think perhaps I could have been softer, but I was fuming and pissed off and grieving. So, you know what I mean? So it's one of those where, yeah, I think I probably could have been a bit softer, a little less brutal. <laughs> well, I think that you had uh, a perfectly acceptable excuse. Um, and I'm not, I, you know, I, I, I wasn't asking for, to find out what regrets we have, just kind of looking for the advice to, to, to someone else. So maybe yeah, I think we just need to be kind to ourselves. We talk about this a lot. I know that that saying gets thrown around a lot, but listen, you are not broken. You're grieving. You're not and grief and anger go hand in hand and guilt and grief go hand in hand. They're like married couples. So just give yourself some grace and be kind to yourself and also give other people that knowing that they are going through the worst pain that they are experiencing. Yeah. And I agree wholeheartedly. And one of the things that I learned from another guest, uh, Allie, I, I think that you said, Lisa, that you had listened to her episode um, in order to support the people around you. I thought that the great advice she gave and, and, and I tried to make a joke and she actually turned it into, seri into something serious. She said that you should, to support people, what are you good at? What is your skill? Do you, are you good at making lists? Are you good at cooking because not everybody needs to show up with food um, and always ask, what do you need? And I, and I thought that was really profound, but I made the joke and I said, oh, well, I can make podcasts at you, <laughs> you know, because I felt like what talent or what skill do I have and, and kind of making fun of myself. And she was like, well, you could recommend some, you could find a list of podcasts. And I thought that that was an incredible answer. It's like, even when you don't know what you can offer, you know, there's something there. And if you, sometimes all it takes is asking the person what they need. Sometimes it's evaluating what, what, what you have to offer. And I'm Absolutely. not trying to. I mean, in my, the podcast that I have is birthed out of all of these losses. So, you know, it's, it's important to be able to, even just sit with somebody, even if you can't say any, you don't just sit there, just be with them. It depends on your relationship with them as well. Mm -hmm. For sure. And, Could get yeah. weird if you just show up and watch <laughs> yeah. for the day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and one of the things I think that I've said to people is, you know, when someone, you know, someone's lost them, just send them a message and go, you don't need to reply. Start out with that. You don't need to reply. I just want you to know that I'm sending all the love your way, or I'm giving you a big hug, or I'm here if you ever need me, you do not need to reply because they're going to have loads of messages. They're, they're exhausted. They're brain fogged. They're grief brain fogged. It's so we don't want to put more pressure on them. So yeah, exactly. Don't just necessarily show up at their door. If you barely even know who they are, like go away. Right. But yeah, yeah you're right. 
kind of know your place, know your role in their life and the type of relationship you have with them. And and I know, Dan, I think you're kind of making a joke about just showing up. But I also do think that, you know, there are different dynamics to relationship that you absolutely need to understand when you show up and how you show up. Yes. Um, but no, that, that was great. And you mentioned podcast? What, what's the name of your podcast? Yes, it's because we love finding meaning after loss. And so I interview people from all over the world like you do um, with any type of loss. So it's not just loss of loved ones who, you know, I in March, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and I had it was caught very early. Nothing spread, but I had mastectomies and I used the same tools during that time that I did with this and with my losses. So I interview people with health, they've lost marriages, divorce, parental alienation. I mean, you name it. It's any type of loss that causes grief. And then what were the healing modalities that they use? I just want to offer people some like, oh my God, okay, well, I don't want to do what Lisa did, but I'll do what, you know, Joe blogs did. I'm going to try that and see if that helps me. No, that's great. And I have told people a lot that when everything went down in my marriage, I say that my future died. And I recently left my job. I, I, in 18 years, I was at a place at one company and I've lost that now. I even look back at right before my marriage exploded, imploded, whatever word we want to use. I had lost two cats in like six months. And by no means do we, am I comparing that to, to, to losing people, but it fucking hurts. Yep. And, and that pet, pet loss is, is a huge thing. It's a huge loss. So you're right. Divorce, career, all that you moving to a different country or moving to a different state. Like, so I think we just think of loss as a human being and that bereavement. It's like, nah, nah, nah. It's, there's mu so many more losses than that. For sure. And thanks for reminding us that and, and validating it, because I think that that's one thing that we don't allow ourselves to, to view some of our grief when it's absolutely valid and, and we need to process it. And I'm glad that there are people like you that are out here helping remind us. So thank, thank you. And Lisa, it has been great. Is there anything else that you would want to uh, say before we let you go? No, I just thank you so much for giving me the platform to be able to share my story. And one of the things I would say is David Kessler, who I did, um, he's a grief expert. He says, your grief is the worst grief. So don't compare your grief to others because yours is the worst because it's yours. I like that a lot. Thank you. It's been wonderful having you on, Lisa. We're grateful. We're humbled. Uh, I can. I never have enough kind words because, and I say kind words, I've never had the right words because it's so fulfilling to have people like you out here sharing your story with our listeners. It's It's been wonderful. You've passed the decent fucking human test. So thank, thank you so much for being on. Thank you. And terrible listeners. It's been wonderful giving you Lisa's story. We'd love to have you follow us, share, uh, follow us on Instagram, Facebook at Positively Terrible. If you've got a story for us, you can email us at podcast at positivelyterrible.com. And as always, this has been absolutely 
positively terrible. I met you back at Tonica's fest. I confess I was nervous and stressed because I thought you were the best. I was right. And that night we got into a water gun fight that I won. I shot you in the face. It was fate. I offered you a spring. You declined. I said, keep it tonight. Decide to change your mind. You did. Positively Terrible is a part of the Terrible Podcast Network.